Good morning. I always got to take a look at you guys. Good feel for you. So at 20 years old, I had the best job in the world. Some would say a dream job. It just involved being in an inner city, working with teenagers all day. I know that didn't get a lot of oohs and ahs. Probably working with teenagers all day is like your nightmare job. But I loved it. I still love it. But the downside was actually who I worked with. I had to supervise one full-time staff and two volunteer staff. And if you ever, like, supervised anybody or worked with anybody in, like, a group project that was difficult, you know it can be hard. Can I, can I get an amen on that? No, I'm not the only one. And so I had one of those difficult co-workers. She would show up late. It was hard to get her motivated to actually do her job when she showed up. She would always submit her timesheets late. And so, like any good boss, got to have that conversation. It's kind of a, a dreaded conversation, to be honest, especially for a 20-year-old, never supervised anybody before. And I just went in thinking, like, I know if I have this conversation, she's going to say how much she hates me and how much she hates the job. So I'm being like high conflict avoidant. I don't want to have this conversation, but I do, so I don't get fired. And as we have the conversation, she begins to express and share, Lance, I'm actually late because I'm a single parent. And I have three children. I don't have a car. I also don't really have stable living. And so we take the bus everywhere we go. I don't know if you know what that's like, Lance. But I don't. And as she began to share more and more, my, my heart broke. But unfortunately, that's where it stopped. I wish I could say that I had did something and, and helped her, but I did nothing. And if we're honest, loving on people is very difficult. And often, we fail at it, especially with those who you don't like. Can I get another amen? Okay. And so our love for people often stops at sympathy rather than moving towards empathy. We offer pity versus help. I call this pseudo-love. And this pseudo-love is, is rooted in self-preservation rather than in Christ's selflessness. This pseudo-love is rooted in self-preservation rather than Christ's life selflessness. And, and, and for the, like the past two weeks, we've been talking about the mission of the church. And I know many of us desire 
to go do the mission of the church. I know we want to make disciples of all nations. But here's the truth. We can't be great witnesses for Christ without being great neighbors first. So we can't be great witnesses for Christ until we're great neighbors first. So in today's passage, we'll, we'll listen to Jesus instruct us on how to be great neighbors and its eternal significance. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 10, 25. Luke 10, 25. And while you're getting there, I just want to give some context. So the author is indeed Luke. He's a companion of Paul, the beloved historian and physician. Luke is very straight to the point, very immediate. And we even find out exactly why he writes the Gospel of Luke. And he says it in chapter 1. He says that this Theophilus, who's a Gentile, that he may have certainty concerning the things about Jesus and what he's been taught about him. And so because of Luke's directness, his account of Jesus moves very, very fast. And when something stops his flow, we need to pay attention. We're at one of those points in Luke. In the first 11 chapters, there are only four parables. And we're here at that fourth one. Right before this parable, Jesus says a statement like this, that God hides the simple things from the wise and the understanding. And so this parable is an example of one of those simple commands that is often hidden and not understood by the wise of this world. Unfortunately, friends, that's us. Some of the smartest people in the world sit right here in this room, and we can often miss this command. So let's pay attention. Starting at verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So we have uh, two main characters here. We have Jesus and a lawyer. And a lawyer is not what we're thinking of today. Maybe even a little worse. But there's a person who taught the Mosaic Law, who's an expert at the first five books of the Bible. And so when it says that he stood up to test him, this testing is he's asking a question to Jesus that he already knows the answer to. He's just trying to catch Jesus slipping. Jesus isn't kind of, uh, he's not a fool. So it actually kind of concerns me just a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a sem seminarian now. It's even shocking to say that. But there's some other seminarians here as well. And I think this might be just a little warning to us. Because they were experts of the Bible, kind of experts of today. 
And I just want to say that we need to be careful approaching God when we have so much knowledge of the Bible that we begin to test God. You take that for what you, what you will with it. But back to the, the text. So in verse 25, even though the lawyer is testing Jesus, let's not miss the significance of his question. His question matters and deserves an answer because eternal life is on the line. He's asking about how can I, eternal, how can I inherit eternal life? So Jesus gives him what he's looking for. But he does what any good evangelist does. He asked the question right back to him. Oh, what do you think? Best question you can ever ask somebody to ask you a question. What do you think about it? And the good old lawyer, because he knows his Bible, he knows Deuteronomy 6, he knows the answer by heart. Probably didn't even skip a beat. And what's cool in his answer is that not only does it say love God, all your mind, heart, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, he actually sees them as one. We often see him as two commands. He has enough intellect to see that they're one. That's weighty. Jesus, hey, you're right. You got the right answer. But based on Jesus' second response, we know that that's just half the right answer. And most of the time when there's ever half a right answer, it's usually wrong. So we, Jesus knows that this guy knows the right answer, but it's one thing to know the right answer and another thing to do it. So he's encouraging them. Awesome that you know it. But now go live it. And that's hard. So knowledge of the right answer is insufficient. Verse 28, Jesus affirms his rightness, but adds a key element. And we all need to hear this. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. So you think the conversation would be over right about here. I can stop preaching right now. Jesus answered the question. We can move on with our merry way. But no. The lawyer continues. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? I believe that the lawyer was reading his Bible like many of us read our Bible. We see, love your neighbor as, okay, love your neighbor as, sent a little hesitancy there. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. We see that. But I think we often interpret a statement like this. Love your neighbors who are like yourself. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. But I think we go and do love your neighbor 
who, or love your neighbors who are like yourself. That's the only reason why I can get to why in the world would you ask this type of question? So desiring to justify himself, it reveals the lawyer's insincerity. Who's my neighbor? That's, that's the wrong question. But the lawyer here is he's trying to exclude responsibility for others by making some people non-neighbors. He's trying to exclude responsibility for others by making some people non-neighbors. So a more appropriate question would be, how can I be a loving neighbor? The question and the command is to us, not to exclude anyone else. So I just imagine Jesus kind of looking at him side-eyed, kind of a confused compassion. But he goes on to answer the question in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to, play, to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So two people you think would help don't do anything. And at this time, a priest is someone who is like a mediator between God and man, serves in the temple, has direct access. So surely he would, not at this time. And kind of today what that would look like, that would be like Pastor John walking down the street seeing a guy like this, just going on to the other side. Or the Levite, surely he'll go help him. And a Levite, someone who works in the temple as well, but is, is not as high as a priest, just serves, doing his thing. Kind of like, like our deacons here. So it would be like if Matt Wright saw this person who um, sits on the missions committee and didn't do anything. They both do the same three things. One, they look. Two, they go to the other side. And three, they kept going. We can do the same thing. We see, we can hear, we can know of someone's need, but then avoid it. We go to the other side. And then just keep going on with our, with our lives as if nothing had happened. But verse 33 but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. If you are hearing this in Jesus' day, you would probably, I wish I had like the meme where someone like wraps a cold bar and it's like, oh, no, just lose your mind. But I see you're not in part of that culture, so you're not losing your mind right now. Did 
Jesus, the rabbi, the greatest leader of our time, just use a Samaritan whom we all hate as a hero and a leader in this story? He saves the day? No way. No way. But Jesus does. Trying to get that shock factor. And he juxtaposes the actions of the Samaritan and the Levite. And the priest, the Samaritan journeyed. Clearly, he has somewhere to go too, just like everybody else. But he came towards the man rather than avoided. He had compassion rather than contempt. He also takes many, many steps forward. And I would call these like these restorative actions. He heals his wounds using his own resources. Doesn't stop there. He doesn't just heal and leave. He brings him to a place that could better care for him. And he stayed to ensure that this man would receive all the treatment that he needed. You'd think the story would stop here. Oh, man, he did great. He kept going. He journeyed with this man to make sure that he is at full restoration. Full restoration, that's being a good neighbor. Are we journeying with people long enough to where we can see full restoration and wholeness? Not just making pit stops. Shameless plug, uh, February 10th, we're starting a series, uh, Cojourners. So if you want to learn how to journey with people all the way to the end, come February 10th, 8.30 a.m. downstairs. I'll be leading a class, five-week class. Shameless plug, over. Cool. So this man also crossed barriers. Crossed barriers. And this is where we get held up at. This is where the priest and the Levite got stuck. He crossed cultural barriers. Is it hard for you to connect with someone who's not like your culture? Crossed religious barriers. I can't stand Mormons. They're hard to get to love. Is that you? He crossed financial borders or barriers. He didn't care how much it took to see this man to wellness. And then lastly, I think the one that gets us all, the inconvenience barrier. Will this inconvenience me? That often stops us right there. Of course it's going to inconvenience you. Every time. Every time. But are you willing to cross that barrier? And some more for us. For today, that was the Samaritan. But for us, it could be political barriers. It could be gender barriers. Sexuality. Class. You can keep going. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus kind of finishes off this interaction with them both agreeing of who did the right thing. But even the lawyer, or despite the lawyer's clear bigotry and racism, even he can kind of see 
that, oh, man, this Samaritan did do the right thing. How do I know? He's racist and elitist. Couldn't even say his name. He just said, the one who showed mercy. You go and do likewise. And I know you may be like myself, hearing this parable, the end of this parable, and thinking to yourself, man, I have a strong desire to love my neighbors, especially those who don't look like me, sound like me, speak like me. Just like the command says, but I fail often. I'm scared. It's hard. But here's the truth. There was a greater good Samaritan that left heaven, journeyed to earth, and saw us who were blind, pitiful, naked, left for dead, and came near, poured out his grace. Oh, no. Can I hold it? Great. Died, resurrected on our behalf. So by his stripes, we are healed. Not only does he just give an example, he says and promises the same spirit that resurrected me will be in you. Thank you. So if you believe on the Lord Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit. He wants you to confess that you can't do it on your own. You need his power to do this command. He'd have it no other way. So I just want you to take heart with that, that you can't do it on your own. You need God's Holy Spirit to do this type of good work. And if I can go back and, and tell my 20-year-old self what I maybe should have done with my coworker who had just poured out their heart to me, I think I would have said this. This is Dr. Brene Brown professor at the University of Houston, she says, empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. So what that looks like in the reality is that maybe I could have offered my car to drive her to work and her kids to school. Maybe I could have provided some money for daycare. Maybe I could have helped her think through what does it look like to, to have good work ethic here instead of just stop at sympathy. I could have journeyed with her to see her back fully on her feet as a single mother. And maybe we'd still have a relationship today. And maybe, just maybe, I could have got to the point where I could actually share Christ in a meaningful way. So in conclusion, we can't be great witnesses for Christ without being great neighbors first. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, we know. We've tried over and over and over. 
to live out this command. And for many of us, we may even be disheartened right now. That loving the difficult neighbor or our enemies can just feel too hard. Or maybe there's some of us in this room right now that um, have only loved people who look like us and think the way we think. God, would you release us? Break us from the shackles of inconvenience, from the shackles of what the world standards are that looks like to love someone. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord, to journey with people all the way to wholeness because you did that for us. God, we need more of your spirit, more of your power. We ask all this in your name. Amen.